My name is Scott Lewis. I'm the editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego and the host of Good Schools for All and the Voice of San Diego podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring one of our podcasts and associating your company's name or message with the great shows we produce, please let us know. Contact Aaron Zlotnick at Aaron at voiceofsandiego.org. That's E-R-I-N at voiceofsandiego.org. This episode is brought to you by Competitive Edge Research and Communication. Competitive Edge Research and Communication is San Diego's premier polling firm dedicated to quality research since 1987. John Neenstedt, president of Competitive Edge, proudly supports Voice of San Diego and other local civic organizations. Yes, I vote because I feel like as an African-American female, like I want my voice to be heard. Um, Conservative values. So I vote very conservative. So I try to vote for candidates that have very conservative viewpoints. Oh, I don't vote anymore now. Why not? Um, Just because I don't. um... I vote because it is our right to vote. And I take it seriously. This is San Diego Decides, a podcast by Voice of San Diego. I'm Sarah Libby, and I'm here with my pal, Rye Rivard. Hey, Sarah Libby. Hey. What is up, Rye Rivard? We got less than a month to go to this thing, this election. I know. We will be deciding very soon. (laughs) Actually, you can vote by mail now. Yeah. Maybe maybe people have already voted, and they have no reason to listen to this podcast anymore. Well, we're going to be talking about debates, and they can still watch a debate. Yeah, let's talk about debates. First of all, I moderated my first debate this week. No big deal. Um, we have Andy Keats here. You might recognize him from such news organizations as Voice of San Diego. Dot org. Dot org. Yeah. Um, so part of the reason I wanted you to be here to talk about debates with us is because I want to tell you to your face. Mm-hmm. That you and Scott Lewis's little racket in town. <laughs> Is up. I'm busting it up. (laughs) I moderated a debate. Yeah. Someone came to a person at Voice of San Diego that was not you or Scott. And they said, do you want to host this debate? And I said, yes. And then immediately after that. I've already booked another one because I'm just like the hot in vogue debate moderator in this town. You're like Solange. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I'm the Solange (laughs) of San Diego debate moderation. Well, I'm glad to have you. This is going to be less wasted weekday nights for me. But yeah. Scott is no, still it, everywhere. It, it actually seems quite terrible. It's a very <laughs> stressful undertaking. I, I always say yes, and then at, like the time it's coming, I'm like, I could have said no. Why, did, why am I doing this? Why am I stressing myself out? For this? the public. Yeah, that's right. I guess that's why. That's why. Mine's not so much for the public. It's just to stick it to you and Scott. And the public. <laughs> And well, also the public. Well, I'm really glad that uh, you're that you know people are getting to hear all the good questions you ask. Undoubtedly, I mean, it wasn't at your your debate premiere, but I'm so, sure that it was fantastic. It was fantastic. <laughs> okay. It was a city Obviously. attorney debate. It was a city attorney debate, but I also feel like I'm wildly overselling <laughs> my role in this debate <laughs> as I was a co-moderator, and so. Um, Phil Farrar from CW6 was co-moderating with me and it was like very clear that he is someone who has experience in TV and radio because he was able to like ad lib very like TV phrases. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think I told you guys my favorite part of the debate was when he asked a, a drone question and he prefaced it by saying, 
we're going to talk about boys and their toys. (laughs) That's just something that I am not capable of pulling off on my feet. That's such a great TV intro. Plus, you would probably (laughs) note that there are female drone operators. There are. Yeah, absolutely. That's why they have me there. That's You know? Um, (laughs) So this is going to be a podcast in several parts. (laughs) We're going to start here, and then we're going to talk about debates. We're just going to keep talking about debates. What they're about. Yeah, what, whether they're useful. So w- one of the things that um, was interesting about the city attorney debate was the fact that they debate each other like four nights a week, in my understanding. Um, you know, it's one of the only competitive races in town. And so, I mean, they were very collegial before and after the debate, partly because they're probably just nice collegial people, but also because they keep having to see each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, like more than their families, probably. Yeah, it's it's odd with some. I mean, this is even true uh, when there's an open seat with mayoral debates, but certainly with these smaller debates, they're not going to be on TV. There's not, you know, there's there aren't any TV stations that want to televise a city attorney debate. So they kind of do like a little traveling tour to like every Garden and Kiwanis Club in San Diego, and that's the way that they have some sort of familiarity with people is they debate to rooms of like 20 to 50 people day after day after day, uh, which, you know, I, I feel for them, but I, I mean, I, I guess the flip side of that is like, that's basically the campaign because there isn't, there isn't like a crush of media coverage for city attorney debates either. So it's basically just fundraising and going to nightly town halls. Yeah. And it feels like, I wonder if they're in, like this constant standoff a little bit where a hundred groups come to them and say, we want to have you at a debate. And, you know, Robert Hickey has already said yes. And so does Mar. Well, I can't, you know, I can't have the, it used against me that I didn't show up to this debate. And so I have to go. And do you think that they could ever just be like, Hey, what if Thursday night we didn't debate each other. (laughs) Yeah. I think I wouldn't be surprised if you saw something like that for the next mayoral uh, race. Um, If there's an open seat, because in 2012, 2012, when there was the, the highly contested open seat, uh, Nathan Fletcher, uh, Bob Filner, Bonnie Bonnie. DeManis and Carl DeMaio, they, they were doing the same thing. It was, there would be two a day often often there would be like some business group in the for a a lunch group and then and then something that evening and it was it was crazy i remember reporters were talking about all the time and the campaign staff would be complaining about it all the time too you would easily have to cover three or four of these things a week and when they replaced filner and it was uh, faulkner versus alvarez there was a sort of an agreement that was like this is crazy. We can, can't we just do a handful of debates instead and pick and choose how they'll be on TV and actually maybe reach more people, even though we go to fewer places. Um, and if I remember correctly, there actually was, there ended up being some pushback from some of the community groups who really like to host these things. And there might've even been a bit of a pushback from, uh, media types as well. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I just don't know really who all is, is, served very well by going to all these teeny tiny groups you know 50 60 a year what are the stakes in one of these debates if there's not like a video tracker there recording you is there any 
anything that you can really do to blow your campaign at a Kiwanis club? No. Well, well, I mean, to I, so I went to a town hall this this spring and one of the like only events in the city attorney race in the primary was at that one debate. I saw Mara Elliott roll her eyes and say, that's not true because Gil Cabrera was talking about something about the climate action plan. And like, I happened to be there. So that became a news moment, but out of the, you know, 30 of these other ones, there might've been a bunch of like little exchanges like that, that could have, that could have very easily been newsworthy um, had someone been there, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, w- the stakes are pretty low because I don't, I don't know. There's just not, there's not, there's no real way for these things to blow up in any, to, to be something bigger than the opportunity for two people to talk to a room of 30 people. Yeah. I do think that the debates can make news. And it was funny because at the debate that I was, um, at on Monday, that that was the one point of contention where things got really feisty was t- them ex- having exchanges over the climate action plan. And it was just like this continued fallout from that one little moment that you had spotted months <laughs> earlier um, because they just kept going back and forth about the enforceability and no, you don't understand the way it works and no, you don't understand the way it works. And so it did get um, a little heated, um, which was fun to deal with. Um, so that's one of the things that I think we want to talk about is what happens when a debate kind of goes off the rails, which is something that happened recently at a debate that our friend Andy hosted. Um, let's talk about that. So that was at PolitiFest, the Measure K debate, really K and L, um, which is, I mean, money is pouring into that thing. I think it's like $700,000 for yes right now. It's a pretty um, major uh, issue on this uh, ballot. But yeah, we... we what we, is it? What does it do? It uh, it changes our elections. It makes it from so we have we have uh, these these runoff elections or excuse me these primary elections where everybody from every party is on one ballot, and if you get over fifty percent, you can win outright. This would change it so you go the top two vote getters go to November no matter what, like the state, like the state, uh, or basically like the state. Um, the we booked four pretty strong personalities on that panel and um, they from right from the very beginning, they were just at each other's throats. I mean, it was it was not like anything you would typically see with with candidates running against each other. I think we have some clips of that. Let's let's see how it sounded. Don't be so serious. Life see, I told you I'd be the calm one here. Right. <laughs> this is right. But but as a, as, is, as a matter of fact, we asked IVP who they wanted to speak for them, this and is, they this said is a you. Serious, so. serious issue. They are rewriting right, right, the rules of your right, election. Right. It is not a joke. Right. I'm 63 years old. Okay. Let me tell you. We have people being killed on the streets. So, a debate about the best way to handle. June or November elections and uh, quickly escalated to people being killed on the streets, which is that's Steve Peace, Ryan Klumpner, you, Mickey Gasparian and, and Chris Kate. And Chris Kate. This is what happens when you have a stage full of dudes. <laughs> I, I actually do think that that's one of the lessons. Uh, uh, I, absolutely <laughs> one of the lessons. I also I think Peace was where he was going for with that was like, let's settle down. It's that big of a deal. Um well, oh, I'll so you're saying it. we took it wildly out of context and, <laughs> <laughs> and this deep piece is actually like the calm <laughs> presence of this debate. He was not that. <laughs> he was not that. 
I don't know I, that I've I was I've never seen anything like that. I think mostly because when candidates are running, you want to look like a reasonable person, and when it's uh, a measure, you can you can be more outspoken, and you don't actually have to pull yourself back to the same degree. Um, but it was it was just a different task to be to be up there adjudicating that because it was like it was like suddenly being a cable news host like you had to like cut people off and I like found myself at one point being like do I have the ability to cut his mic like do I can can I cut someone's mic this is I mean debates are like by their very nature contentious you are two people who are arguing you're just setting people up to argue against each other but um I don't know about you but I feel like wildly uncomfortable when they get like that or just any really uncomfortable moment. I feel like I shouldn't be in the room. It's not something I should be witnessing. So one of the most famous debate moments of the last several years was like Rick Perry torpedoing his own candidacy during a debate um, and not remembering his policies and saying, Oops. Whoops. Which, which <laughs> in I retrospect just, like, is actually curled like... up in the fetal position as like my job was to cover the the presidential election at that point. And I was just I died. I briefly died. Yeah, I so I, I have to say, like, I I didn't really have much problem being up there during that. I I kind of in the the testosterone level was high enough that I was just like, oh, okay, I guess we're all fighting now. Yeah, this second clip is exactly that thing. Go, let's play that, I guess. Great. Steve, can, can, I, can I get a word in edgewise here? Let your friend talk. Well, you guys keep making up stuff. Well, just... It just went on. I, I had to physically, like, leave the <laughs> the space. Yeah, I... Uh, I, I mean, I think for the most part, that's not usually actually the best way for people to get a sense of of how they want to vote on an issue. Um, in this case, I actually would be hard pressed to imagine somebody who stayed for that entire debate still feeling undecided at the end of it. I, I would imagine we pretty much got to the end of end of things. Uh, the other thing, though, is for a lot of these like the town hall that, or the debate that you hosted um, on the city attorney debate. The one I'm going to later on, uh, this is on, I'm, I'm doing one tonight on the Chargers and uh, uh, Measure D, the Citizens Plan. For the most part, I I think there's not mu- in these like very, on local elections, local candidates, local measures, small audiences, there really isn't that much role of a, deba- of a moderator like wading into the debate because as much as I get tired of hearing talking points and I'm sure you guys as reporters get tired of hearing talking points. And if you were conducting an interview on this show, you would want to interject and knock and get people off their talking points. Sometimes at least at the beginning of those debates, it's like, this is the audience's opportunity to hear about these things for maybe the first time directly from somebody. It's not really my job to, to start like being like, no, 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 no. And and start being like, you know, really accountability focused. Yeah. I think it's just like the debate happens to be the format in which these people will hear from these people for the first time. So instead of like going to a stump speech, which isn't something that like candidates for these smaller offices really give, they just hear from them in debates. Yeah. Which allows both people to go to the same groups, you know, with, without having to get that audience together two separate times, basically. 
So one thing I want to talk about um, when it comes to debates, and we saw this come up uh, in another PolitiFest debate that I want to talk about, is like the issue of substance versus style. Mm-hmm. So I feel like w- with the presidential debates, the thing you hear about so much is that like Hillary Clinton meticulously prepares and puts in all this work and she has like really researched answers and and Donald Trump is just more about um, like being on the fly and and coming up with like zany yeah zingers being a, in the being debate. a performer and like feeding off the crowd but i actually feel like in the local debates i've witnessed kind of the opposite dynamic which is like really polished politicians um versus people who aren't used to being on that stage and the what i'm thinking of was the measure a debate um over the sandag tax so i sat in on um the debate that you hosted and this is not to take anything away from the arguments that the no on a side was making but you had um nicole capretz give an opening statement um about all the reasons that she uh thinks voters should oppose this measure um and they were you know obviously meticulously researched she knows this issue inside and out and and then Todd Gloria gives the other side the the yes on a and I just thought like I would buy whatever Todd Gloria is selling <laughs> to me at this moment. He could be like trying to get me to adopt this violent pit bull, and I'd be like, absolutely, you you've won me over. And it like it didn't matter what he was saying, and it didn't matter what Nicole had said, just because he was like so polished in mm-hmm. his presentation. And so I think that's like a really interesting part of how debates play out because like sometimes the the words or the points like matter far less than you might think. We're going to get uh, some mail on that. Uh, the pit bull remark. <laughs> <laughs> pit bulls are often lovely creatures. Well, there's uh, what was the Tommy boy uh, line. You could, you could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. Oh man. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, so that's an you actually put together a really interesting example there because you've Nicole used to be a staffer for Todd Gloria. So you've got somebody who's like a behind the scenes policy person and the person who sits on the dais for two days out of every week. Um, so, yes, it's an interesting the the thing I always wonder about it. I don't think there's any question that like voters react to the, a personality or a person who connects with them in some way. But it's always weird as a journalist when we're put in a position to to uh, to evaluate things on that basis, because I know like in my daily job, I assess arguments pretty often. I have to go sort through facts and details that I that is part of my job responsibility. Nothing that I've ever done in my life has trained me to decide who is a better performer. Like I have, I have no skills in that that realm at all. So it's so weird to me. And this doesn't really happen locally that often. It's more of a national thing, but like, I don't know. I'm just not equipped to decide who was a better, like stylistic performer on the stage at any given time. That's just not in my skill set. And that's one of the things that people say discourages national uh, candidates from people who could run for national office from entering uh, Senate races and presidential races is they're just like not great public speakers like, you know, Bloomberg or somebody just not accomplished person, but just cannot give a great 
speech. It, yeah. You know, Hillary Clinton, also not a great speech maker, doesn't, you know, she comes off as polished, but doesn't like inspire. But if you wanted to like do a civics test, she'd probably win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and something related to that is um, if you're a good candidate, you have this ability um, and also journalists sometimes have the, this ability and this is a skill that I don't have, which is why I don't like a lot of um, like public speaking type engagements is to be able to hear a question. So say you ask me, what's your position on, you know, legalizing marijuana and to just be able to recite your talking points or something rehearsed, whether it answers that question or not. That's like an ability I don't have. If somebody asks me a question, I feel like I have to be as specific and answer that question as closely as I can. I couldn't, I couldn't just be like, well, let me tell you my crime policies as a response to that. Like it wouldn't enter my mind to do that. And And they do that so well. And the advice they get is to answer the question you want to be asked, not the one you were asked. Yeah. And well, and so there's an interesting thing with debates is like, if you're as a, if you're a reporter and you ask or a, a, a politician, what is your position on X? And they jump into their talking points. You'll interject and you stop them and you, you try to get the answer to your question. And you might have to do that five, six, seven times before you actually get something useful. But you, like debates just aren't constructed that way. Uh, particularly these local debates that we put together where there's often three or four people on like a, at like a table and they kind of just take turns asking questions. The, the format doesn't really lend itself to that sort of like, like relentless accountability. And if it, and if you try to do it, you're kind of like seen as an asshole. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like you become a spectacle, right? Yeah. So another, um, debate that we haven't talked about that sort of made the news a little bit was this uh, U.S. Senate debate between Kamala Harris and Loretta Sanchez. Um, this happened about a week ago. And the reason it was in the news for was for the thing that happened at like the very final moment of the debate, which was that Loretta Sanchez dabbed, um, which is why I was calling it this dabate uh, conversation. That's pretty hilarious. That's pretty good. <laughs> yes. I wonder where should we, like, when do you think in debate prep that they came up with the idea to do that? I would love someone to write that story. Write a little, a TikTok on where the, on the, the, also, the origins of the dab. Do you, do you have f- a choreographer come in? Like a <laughs> yeah. debate coach and a choreographer? Yeah. Do you feel like for the olds, we should talk about what a dab is? I, we should probably at least explain it a little. Yeah. So it's just a kind of. And uh, I think there are senior citizens, not to be the politically correct police today. No, it, it's olds and youngs. Oh. Yeah. What about the mids? Yeah. There are no mids. mids. No, every mid, (laughs) every mid asking, you have to ask ask them a series of questions and they're either, they'll either figure out an older or young. Yeah. Yeah. That could be true. Ask them their opinion on Springsteen. Like that again, that's going to get you 50% of the way there. So a dab is like a move. It, it's, it kind of started as a dance move. Um, but it's like a celebratory, uh, Cam Newton does move. it a lot. Cam Newton does it a lot. Um, it's similar to the the bolt that Usain Bolt does, um, where you have your arm outstretched and you kind of put your head down. Yeah. Um, it's like if anybody remembers when D Brown won the NBA dunk contest in uh, I want to say ninety one, maybe ninety two. Old. <laughs> this is this is an old reference, yeah. but he he puts his head in the the crook of his elbow, and then the other arm is outstretched straight yeah. away from the shoulder. So for the last week, that's the only thing that I've heard anyone 
talk about as far as this debate. So I went back today and I actually watched the debate. See like um, what they discussed. Yeah. And it was kind of excruciating. Was it? <laughs> it was. And this is the only debate between the two of them. Um, but I pulled out a little clip from the debate that I want to play. I am against Proposition 57. My opponent wrote the summary of it that we are reading as voters. And she said that it was about nine nonviolent felons getting out of jail. That's not true. For example, she talks a good story on gun control. But did you know that if you give guns to gangs, you can get out of jail free if this proposition passes? If you do a drive-by shooting, you can get out of jail free if this Proposition 57 passes. If you discharge guns on a schoolyard, you can get out of jail free. So she has failed to lead on supposedly the area that's her expertise. And worse, she has failed to protect Californians as the Attorney General. And as a senator, she would fail to lead and she would fail to protect us. That is intense. That is real talk. That is Man. real. So That is more harsh on Prop 57 than anything I've heard Kevin Faulkner say, and he's leading the charge against it. Yeah, so there, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. One, okay. um, there's... We're not in Monopoly? What? What? <laughs> Get out of jail free. Oh, oh. I see. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's her, that's yeah, her, like, that's go-to, her, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, she that was a good, it was a fine line. <laughs> You're fine. So that would that would have been a good, a, a good response over, for that Kamala went Harris. Way over um, me and Andy's heads. These are real people, not monopoly uh, pieces. <laughs> yeah, and as Ryan, I mentioned when we um, talked about the state ballot measures, it does not release anyone from prison. It just gives them a parole hearing. That's my little issue with the opponent's um, talking point. But so there's a lot to unpack here. One, it's a pretty conservative um, position for a Democrat in a Senate race to take Mm -hmm. um so she's kind of done this on a few different issues run to uh, kamala harris's right um this is where i should do my standard disclosure that my husband works for the office of the attorney general Mm -hmm. um but the reason i really wanted to to use this clip is so this is kind of like in the smack middle of the debate and she is like that intense in the middle and all the way throughout. And it's like really pointedly uh, framing all of her arguments as just like direct attacks on Kamala Harris. Yeah, I think it's interesting the way she ends that attack, right? It's like it goes from here's why she's wrong on this issue to she's failed to keep us safe and she would fail as a senator, which is like, Man, if that's a fellow Democrat, what would a what would a Republican be saying on stage? You know. Yeah, and I mean, I think part of it is just uh, this is a result of she's you know she's the underdog in this yeah. race a little bit, and she probably feels she has to uh, be really aggressive um, in going after her. But man, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, and I and uh, you know your point of running to her right to some extent. It's like once once uh, Attorney General Harris shored up all the institutional Democratic support. Uh, you know, I don't know what else you do, right? You, you've pretty much to you've you've got to find you've got to cobble together fifty percent of voters somehow. And yeah, and the, you've just got to kind of w- win over Republicans who might sit the race out altogether. Just yeah. give them a reason to yeah to vote for them. one of the two Democrats in the race. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that you can't see from this clip is that she has really intense hand gestures throughout that entire like. 
it's a 60 second clip and there is not like one second in which their hands are not wildly like all over the place. It sounds like it. So here I'm doing that thing that I say I'm I said I earlier that I'm not at all qualified to do, which is to like uh, critique the delivery in a debate. But it sounds like whenever whenever I've had to do anything at uh, NBC for our partnership there. I'll read a script or something and they go, okay, uh, so do it 50% bigger than that. You're, you're, you're doing it like you're just reading something. And then I just start yelling and like every line, there, there's no punctuation because every line is a yell and they're like, okay, tell back down a little bit, back down another 20%. And that's how she, she's delivering it. It was just like, there are only exclamation marks, no periods. Yeah. And that was, um, they were just really markedly different styles in that debate. Uh, Kamala Harris seemed very um, a little reserved um, and she wasn't as aggressive in attacking, um, you know, her opponent directly. It was more uh, she focused a lot on issues. I mean, of course, they they had back and forth throughout the whole thing. It's a debate, but um, just Loretta Sanchez was very aggressive in that debate. And I thought it was like um, really interesting, whereas all you heard about was the well, that, the move. Harris, I mean, it served her well in the end because the, the thing that got played was her sort of rolling her eyes and looking just disdainful as Sanchez is like doing this bizarre dance move. And so that really yeah. captured maybe the whole the whole spirit of the thing. You're right. Did you did you watch any of the mayoral debates in the before the primary with uh, Ed Harris and Laura Saldana against Kevin Faulkner? Scott Lewis moderated one of those. I did. Yeah. Did they it was it was the same thing. It was like they were such underdogs. They had to go on the attack. And it was it was almost hard to watch because it was just like every everything was a brutal attack that, you know, at a certain point they just stopped sticking, you know, because it just becomes transparent that that this person can't possibly be so bad on every measure. Well, there was, there was a one time when Harris like attacked his own position. Yeah. If you paid attention to the logic of the argument, like within seconds yeah, yeah. during the debate, cause he was just like everything that the mayor's against. I'm going to be against, even if it happens to be something I thought I agreed with. Yeah, exactly. That's one way to debate someone. <laughs> yeah. Um, should we, there was another debate this week. Did you want to, did you want to mention it even? That, that, that whole, that whole Trump thing, huh. the Trump Clinton debate. A f- that happened. It was only yeah. three days ago at this point, but I feel like I've lived a whole lifetime since then. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you? So the debate that I moderated was the next night, and man, was that a low bar to have to clear. It really took a lot of pressure off of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I barely even remember the substance of of what happened at the debate. Aside from uh, Trump saying that he was going to jail Hillary, which is troubling and also (laughs) illegal. Um, But I do just remember him like stalking her menacingly across the stage. Those town hall debates are so uh, strange in that like there's the dynamic of people moving around. And like, do you ever like go shake hands with one of the town hall yeah. people do you like ask them about their families do you give them a hug and so like, like how that, much are you supposed to whole, be talking like, to them yeah debates are so contentious anyway and to add this like movement element into it is really strange yeah <laughs> there's this weird thing though where uh clinton was trying not to engage trump on every single point because that would be bad for her because it would end up with everybody in the mud which is what she's trying not to do and so she's just like, go visit my, it's all not true and go visit my website. And it's sort of like, 
you know, Lincoln and Douglas probably weren't like, go visit my <laughs> pamphlet in a week when the horse comes by with it. I mean, they, that's a little bit of an, uh, it's an easy way to escape having I have a to engage. I have a theory on the website thing. Yeah. You want to hear it? Yeah. Bring it. All right. It's not that great, but, well, but I've built it up it at up this now, point. So. Wow. And you're tearing it down just as uh, fast. I So it, it's so like self-evidently unpersuasive to be like, well, I've got a website, which is like, I don't know, like Cheetos has a website. <laughs> Everyone has a website. Boys right? of San Diego has a website. And <laughs> yeah. I still feel like kind of an asshole when I bring that up when I'm out in the community. Like, oh, you should go to yeah. Boys of San Diego. Yeah. Sorry, Scott. I promise I tell people to go to our website. All the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was, I think it's just entirely about, uh, it's a numbers game. So if however many, this is to 50 million people are watching that debate. If 10,000 people take the cue and go to the website and out of that, if 2,500 people sign up for their newsletter list and out of that 2,500, out of that 2,500, if 700 people donate, then it was worth it. And they get them in the, you know, they like, it's like a it's like a recruiting mechanism that's the new way that you get donors and volunteers and call and callers and start reaching out to people for early voting all these uh, campaigns do early voting reminders through like text message and email now it's like i i think i think it was a big culling operation for their for their internal lists I think that's probably true, but because no Trump supporter is going to go to the, her website and be like, "Oh, Hillary mentioned that he point. was uh, not telling the truth here. Let me look for her fact checking uh, apparatus." Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and and today she rolled out this new feature on her website um, that is really compelling from a, a journalism standpoint. It's just um, where you click on. It, and it gives you a year and it'll say like 1975 um Hillary Clinton was a professor at the law school and saving children and helping children get health care and uh Donald Trump was in a lawsuit because he didn't want to rent apartments to black people right um so i mean you know whether you believe the framing or or anything like that is a, is a pretty compelling tool but even so when i hear someone on a debate stage say go to my website even as someone who's livelihood is provided by a website it makes me roll my eyes and i think it sounds ridiculous yeah it, it's it just, i don't I, just, I i come up with this idea because it's just there's no way that a room full of smart people are sitting there going like this is the way to win this win hearts and minds is by directing people to hillaryclinton.com and Trump in the next bit, if he tries it, would just be like, go to WikiLeaks, go to Breitbart. <laughs> I mean, it'll I be mean, fine. I mean, I mean Donald Trump. Sputnik dot, yeah. <laughs> dot Bruce. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, so I think that's going to be a big part of the mystery of the show is, is, is when you're dealing with robots and when you're dealing with humans, but like, it's like a thrill seeker thing. You can go and you can murder robots and you can be a, a gunslinger in the wild west. But then there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of questions about what it is to be human. And if you really think about it, so there you go. Brian, what was your favorite thing this week? I mean, I think there are already like characters like, you know, Blade Runner, Data from Star. I mean, there's yeah, sure. it's been well tilled soil, but okay. Well, the, the the original film predates both Blade Runner and I think the original Star Trek, but I'm not sure. Okay. My favorite thing is all the um, working class Americans in this country who are not Ken Bone. Um, love Ken Bone, but this guy in his red sweater who took off during the debate, there's this, I believe, um, uh, present company notwithstanding this like fetishization of working class Americans by not only the political class when they talk about manufacturing, but also the journalism class when they find like random people of the hundreds of millions of Americans in this country who aren't one of the few tens of thousands of journalists who remind them that like people get up and work nine to five jobs and like, like have to do stuff that isn't like sit in front of Twitter all day. And it just like talking about Ken Bone, like he's some hero, he's just a normal person. And that's, it's just absurd to, to treat. It shows how out of touch we are when we treat normal people. Um, like there's something special. Everybody's special, but a lot of people are also normal. We're, we're the weird ones, not them. We are the weird ones. That's definitely true. Um, I'm going to try not to get too emosh talking about my favorite thing. Oh, oh no. no. Oh. I know where this is going. Yeah. So my favorite thing, um, is our state's first dog, Sutter Brown. Um, he is a Welsh Corgi who is 13 years old, owned by Governor Jerry Brown. He's just such a good dog. He is such a, he's a good boy. <laughs> He's a good boy. Um, he's not doing well, and it might be, you know, a soon end for our friend Sutter Brown. I love him so much. I'm an owner of a corgi, but I don't think you have to be an owner of a corgi or an owner of a dog to love that little guy who helped Prop 30 pass. He's <laughs> <laughs> become quite a politician <laughs> in the Brown administration. Um, there was a really... Um, sweet uh, editorial by the Sacramento Bee this week that we'll link to um, talking about Sutter Brown and how every Californian had um, become Sutter Brown's person. And I love him so much. You know, there's still another brown corgi around who seems like she's doing well. Calusa Lucy. Um, But what a good boy. 